open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verse 20. So good to see everybody here this morning. When I um, heard the confession of faith today that the church is built upon apostles and prophets, I wanted to show you in our series on the church that we're going through here in our first service where that comes from. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. If you're there, say, I'm there. Wonderful. It says here in the NIV version, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. So when we say that the church is built upon apostles and prophets, do you see that in the scripture? Yes. Now, how many today emphasize the giftings or the workings of apostles and prophets? When you think of the most traditional churches in our nation, the Roman Catholics, the Orthodox, or the Anglicans, do you see an emphasis on the apostles and the prophets today? No, they just talk about the apostles and the prophets of way back when. But did Jesus say that the apostles and prophets would stop being gifted to the church after he left? Absolutely not. That same book, the same book, Ephesians, now says that apostles and prophets will continue to be given to the church. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 now clarifies that the church will continue to have apostles and prophets. Let's start in verse 9. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Who are we talking about there? Somebody say Jesus. Amen. The Bible says that he ascended and he also descended. Think about that. He went to heaven and he also went to hell, defeated the powers of Satan there, and he has death, hell, and the grave, the, uh, the keys of death, hell, and the grave in his hand. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. Now look at verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his body for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, obtaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, let me ask you this. Are there still evangelists in the church today? Are there still pastors in the church today? Are there still teachers in the church today? Well, then where are the apostles and prophets? Hello, somebody. Do you see a line of division between these gifts given to the church? Do you see where it says, well, God is just going to give apostles and prophets during the time of the New Testament, and then after that, these guys are going to disappear, and then all you got is the evangelists, pastors, and teachers. No, so where are they? Where are the apostles and prophets? They're missing in most churches today. And so people say, oh, you charismatics, you're, you're cuckoo. You guys are crazy. You guys think you're the apostle Paul. No, I don't think I'm the apostle Paul, and I don't think I'm the prophet Jeremiah. I don't think I'm writing scripture today, but I think that I'm gifted, if I'm a church planner, to do the work of an apostle. And I think if someone is here today and they're prophesying and has uh, insight into the mind of God, they're a prophet. No different than I believe that there are evangelists today, but they're not Philip the evangelist in the book of Acts. And there are pastors today, but they're not Peter the pastor of the church. Are you listening? And there are teachers today, but they're not uh, Timothy, James, and the, and the original teachers or Barnabas. Can I hear an amen? 
So you need to understand that confession. Would you put it back up there? Because it's communion Sunday, first of the month. And as is habit in our church, when we receive communion, we want to confess our faith. And if you would go to the building of Christ Church. We're in a series on the church right now in the first service. And go to the one that speaks about the church, please. I want you to see what you're confessing. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built on what? Apostles and prophets, what else? Elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. Now, why do we say on the foundation, going back to Ephesians, going back to Ephesians chapter 2, notice it there in verse 20, that the apostles and the prophets provide the foundation, and from them the evangelists, pastors, and teachers come. Notice it right here, built on the foundation of what? The apostles and what else? The prophets. Okay, now go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, please. We're talking about the church because we want you to know what happens in the church. It would be like as if you went to your favorite restaurant and now I brought you into the kitchen. This series is to equip you to know what the church is about. Well, one of the first problems that we have is that Christians don't know. And if you don't know better, you can't do better. So if you don't even understand the basics of who's supposed to be in the church, who's supposed to be in charge in the church, you're doing it wrong. So that's why when I talk to Roman Catholics, and we'll get into that a little bit today, who really take pride in their church. I mean, there are some Roman Catholics that if they could, they would be buried in their church. Can I hear an amen to knowing some really like just like they love the Roman Catholic church to some strict Catholics, okay? I'm not talking about the ones who don't care. There are a lot of people who don't care, and they call themselves Roman Catholics. I'm talking about the ones who love their church, who want to be buried there, who pray to the mother of Guadalupe. I mean, they go check out the water stains under the bridge. They make sure if, if, if it looks like Mary, they're putting flowers there, okay? Uh, you know, they send their kids to the Catholic school, and they're, they were born Catholic. They're going to die Catholic. Well, they take so much pride in their church. Well, all you have to ask them is, where are the apostles and prophets? And if they just go to the stained glass windows and go, well, here's Peter, and then here's Paul, well, they say, no, well, then you lost your foundation then. Now, sometimes they'll say, well, the foundation only has to be laid once, and then after that, you don't need it. So since they were there way back then, we don't need to keep laying the foundation again. But hold on, don't you still have pastors? Don't you still have teachers? Don't you still have people going out and winning souls? How many understand this argument? If you're saying you don't need the foundation, but then don't you still need the other ones? They're a part of that foundation, the apostles and prophets are the first part, and then the rest come right after them. So you can't just say we have a part of the foundation, but not the other part. And then the other thing I like to ask them is where are you fulfilling the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14? The Bible says that these gifts will be in the church, that people will speak words of wisdom and knowledge. There will be gifts of healing, so forth. And that there will be so many in the church that will happen that you have to organize them, that you don't want more than two or three tongues with interpretations. How many have ever read that portion of the Bible before? Yeah, like it's there. So where are you doing it? See, they're not doing that. And then the last thing is, where are your elders and deacons? Where are those that are in charge that are there with the giftings of apostles, prophets, uh, you know, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? Because look at what 1 Timothy 3 says. Here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer or a bishop or an elder desires a noble task. And we've read through this before. Now continue all the way down to what it says, likewise with the deacons, verse 8. In the same way, deacons, everybody say deacons. Thank you. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect. So what do we see clearly here in the scripture? 
There are people who will have the gifts of what we call the fivefold ministry. This is how you knock the devil out with the fivefold ministry. Apostle, prophet, uh, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Bam, knock out the devil. Well, who has these gifts? Who is an apostle? Who is a prophet? Who is an evangelist? Elders and deacons. Those that God has approved to be in charge in the church. So an apostle has to be an elder to do the work of an apostle. A prophet has to be an elder or a deacon to do their work. Otherwise, they have a gift, but they don't have a team to play on. How many understand that? Okay, can, I'm going to go through it slowly then. We'll say it two times in two different ways for you because I didn't get a big amen on how many understand that. Okay? How many know you can be good at basketball, but you can't play in the NBA unless you're on a team? So then you've got to have a position on that team, right? They're going to say, you're a forward, you're a center. But you can say all day long, I'm gifted, I can make shots, but that doesn't mean anything unless you have a position on that team. Elder and deacon is the position that the gifted people have. That's what elders, uh, that, that's what apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers need to have. They need to have positions on the team. Everybody say another example. Amen. How many know you can be a leader, but that doesn't mean you're in a governmental position? Like right now, I'm a leader, but I'm not a congressman. I'm not a senator. I'm not an alderman, but how many know I'm a leader? See, if I want to use my gift as being a leader, I need to have my position. And the position is going to be determined by, you know, the people voting me in and so forth. Well, the position of elder and deacon is determined by the church that is already present. So you can't appoint yourself as an elder. You can't appoint yourself as a deacon. You have to be appointed by the other elders and deacons. Can I hear an amen to that? So that's how it works, brothers and sisters, and that's just the introduction to the sermon. How many are ready for the sermon now? Amen. Open up to Matthew chapter 16. That was communion. I wanted you to understand why you're confessing what you're doing, and I, and I felt the Lord put that in my heart because many of us are confessing this, and we don't know what it is. And so during the ser- sermon series on the church, I felt the Lord say, hey, take some time to explain why they confess that. And we appreciate the honor that when you come to this church, you, you repeat it after us. And it's okay if you don't have all the details. I'm still learning in those things as well. But I really wanted you to see it. Why we believe it's upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons. Now, in Matthew chapter 16, we see the call of the church starting with Peter. And we spent a lot of time talking with Peter. And we'll mention him just a little bit and how people like the Roman Catholics misunderstand it. But let's start in verse 13 so that we can move on to the keys of the kingdom. Everybody say, keys of the kingdom. Thank you, because that's where I left off last week, and I've been wanting to go to it. Those who are keeping track online, it's, it's recorded there, podcast, YouTube as well. We're on part four. I don't know how many parts we'll get to, but I'm having a good time here. Verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. Now, I don't have time to go back over all these details, but this is why Peter is going to get the keys of the kingdom right here. It's because of him about ready to say the right answer, and God's going to bless him. That doesn't mean others will not get the keys. This does not mean that he is different in a unique sense that he's going to become a pope. It just means out of the 12, he's the first one to get it right. And I'll show you that in Matthew 18, that the rest of the disciples will get the keys as they get it right. So who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. This is the 
promise of the king of David coming to do the role of what was prophesied as a king, a conqueror, but not only that, but also the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. How many understand that? He's both a king and he's both a lamb, a lion and a lamb. You all know that, right? And we've talked about that because the Jews missed him because they only saw the Messiah in the role of a lion and they didn't see him in the role of a lamb. And that's why if you even talk to a Jewish person today about Jesus being the Messiah, they would say, well, if he was really the Messiah, then he would have brought peace to the world and he would have judged the world and, you know, brought peace, and this all would have been wrapped up. But we have to show them that the same prophecies that they're going to, the same prophets that they're going to, to see about him conquering the world, also talk about him being pierced, also talk about him taking up our iniquities, also talk about him being betrayed. And so they have to harmonize both. It's not one or the other. It's not he's a lamb or a lion. It's he's a lion and a lamb. Amen? Amen. Now watch what Jesus says back to Peter's correct answer. Verse 17, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So Simon gets his name changed to Peter, which is now Petros. And on this rock is Petra. So sometimes people say, Peter, I'm going to change your, Simon, I'm going to change your name to Peter, and on you, Peter, I'm going to build the church. That's not what he says. He says, I'm going to change your name to Peter, and then on Petra, a feminine ending noun, I'm going to build my church. And that feminine ending noun describes the work of Jesus Christ as the rock, which I've showed you. I just don't have time to get into all the details, but watch this. He says, uh, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And what do we learn about that in Caesarea Philippi? You can look it up. There were the caves of the god Pan at that time in that region that the Romans and Greeks worshipped, and they believed that those caves of Pan led to the underworld. And of course, whenever you see a cave, you see a rock. And so what Jesus is saying is, I'm greater than that rock in that cave. And when you guys want to go do the work that I have for you, you will bust down those gates and plunder hell and populate heaven. Pan and all of them won't be able to stop you. And we preach that as well. Come on, somebody say amen. We, we, we got the keys to whoop the devil. So I got the keys, and then he says, I'm giving them to you, and you're going to be able to go against the gates of Hades, the gates of the underworld, and they will not overcome you. They won't stop you, in other words. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth, uh, earth will be loosed in heaven. Continue on, please. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And this was the secret that he was keeping because if he went around announcing to everybody who he was, they would be harder to crucify him. He wanted them to make their own decision up based on faith whether they believed or not. And so sometimes people say, well, why didn't he just make everybody believe? That's not the way God operates. So I just want you to get this. Sometimes people think we use this as an excuse when bad things happen or why God, God doesn't do the kind of miracles now that he did back then. I don't know if you've ever heard this. People will say, uh, you know, he split the Red Sea then. Why doesn't he do that in Lake Michigan? Or he did this then. And we say, well, because, you know, that's, you know, part of his plan. He did it at that point. He's not doing it now. And they go, oh, you guys are just making that up because it's convenient that back then when they didn't really have cameras or things like that, they could do all this stuff. Which, by the way, anytime you show a miracle now in a camera, everybody's going to say it's fake anyways. How many know that? They're going to say that's CGI because right now when we have cameras, we also have CGI. So you, you can't have your cake and eat it too. But notice this. Jesus, with the disciples, after his uh, revelation to them, to who he is, came out. What does it say our Jesus told them? He ordered them not to tell anybody. So there's always been Jesus hiding among those who have believed. 
Jesus is not trying to present himself as the next David Copperfield or Chris Angel, whatever one you grew up watching, one of these magicians to get you to follow. Ooh, look at this. He is always in the midst of his disciples who believe in him. That's why he says, if you seek me, you shall find me. If you knock, the door will be answered. If you ask, it will be given to you. That's how he operates. How many know he even operated like that in the Garden of Eden? He wasn't there the whole time either. And when he went away, what did he allow them to do? Make their own choices. So don't think that we're trying to be sneaky by saying God at times keeps secrets from us. No, he even did that with them then. Now, I want you to think about this. Was Peter the only one given those keys of the kingdom? Go with me now to Matthew 18, verse 18. This is now where we have to take our time and dissect the word because some people want to say that only Peter got these keys and now because of that he's a pope and now he has to hand down those keys through the succession of the popes. And to the pope we say what? Nope, we love Roman Catholics but we can't go down the road with them with the pope. Why? Because in the next chapters, chapter 18, what does he say now to all the disciples? And just give them a little peekaboo of what's happening up before verse 18. He's talking to the church. He's talking to everybody here. Now look at verse 18. Truly I tell you. Is he talking just to Peter? No, when you hear the, the scripture say, truly I tell you, he's talking to everybody. Can I hear an amen? Go through the scriptures. When he does this, this is how he talks to everybody. I tell you, and I'll know it's, it includes a me in there and that you, because you're going to see right here, we use the scripture all the time for everybody. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. That's not just for the Pope. That's for whoever he's speaking to. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, now notice this word again. That ties to the previous statement. That means the same kind of audience he had in this, in this statement, he has for this statement. The same kind of people he has in mind up here, he has in mind for here. Everybody say again. Thank you. Say it again. Again, again, truly I tell you that if two of you, is this a pope now and, and a vicar of Christ is that, is that, and then a bishop and a cardinal? No, if any two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father. Put that in the King James as well so they can see this. I want you to understand. How many have heard this scripture before when you've been at a small church service? If any two are gathered in his name, he is also here. It's all right. Jesus is with us. So-and-so doesn't show up today, but Jesus is still here. Okay, you've heard that before, but notice it right here in the King James. I say to you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything they ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where, and he clarifies again, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Can I hear an amen? Praise God, praise God. So the promise of Jesus' presence is with two or more. The promise of Jesus hearing our prayers is there to the disciples. And guess what else is there? The binding and the loosing. Well, I thought Peter was special. Yeah, he is special. I mean, we do honor him. Why do we honor him and treat him special? Because he was the first one. He was the first one to join the church by confessing who Jesus was. He was the first one to be there on that day and confess who he is. But as the disciples learned about Jesus, now we see that they got that same promise. But does it stop with them? Of course not, because I still got to pray. 
I still got to get together with somebody. Can I hear an amen? Come on. I still got to bind up some stuff on earth. You telling me now that uh, they, they all went to heaven and left us behind, the demon's just chilling now? The devil doesn't do anything to me. He's not messing with you. Or I got to go to Rome and have uh, kiss his ring, which is just idolatry. Let's be honest. We love Roman Catholics, but don't kiss another man's ring. Come on, don't kiss the Godfather's ring and don't kiss the Pope's ring. Can I hear an amen if you believe it? We love Roman Catholics. I'm not saying they're, they're all going to hell. I'm just saying that it ain't all right. It's not all truth. You can't find it in the scriptures. When we look at Jesus, he's teaching his church, y'all need authority. I'm going to give it to you. You need keys to be able to bind up and lock things up and loose other things. You need to be able to get together and pray and know that I'm in the midst of you. Hallelujah. And you need to be able to ask me for things and know it will be done. I'm thanking God today that I got that promise. Because if I had to wait for the Pope to come to town to bind up the devil in my neighborhood, I'd be waiting a long time. If I had to wait, and I'm telling you, they still have them today. Check. If you're a Roman Catholic or have a Roman Catholic friend, ask if they're still giving out blessings from the Pope with a cost. If you want a blessing from the Pope, you can get one from the Vatican, but you got to put some some money out there. Come on, y'all. Let's be honest, man. That's a scam. That's not how God wants to bless you. That's not how God wants to give you authority is you have to buy something from the Vatican or you have to have some relic to be blessed by a saint. Come on. That's not Jesus. I mean, that's the exact opposite. If two or three of you gather together around the water stain of the Blessed Virgin Mary, then I'm there in the midst of you. You know I tease like that, but I was shocked in Chicago when I would drive by that Fullerton Bridge day after day, and I would see groups of people lighting candles around the water stain bridge, the bridge with the water stain. See if you can find a picture of it. The, the Virgin Mary Fullerton Bridge. How many know what I'm talking about? Oh, Dios mío. Come on, help them, Jesus. Dito, Dito, what are you doing? Come to church. Come to church with me. Pull open your Bible where two or three are gathered together. Jesus is there. You don't need this. This is not how God operates. Show me that in the scriptures where they played those kind of games. It's not right. It's not real. It's, it's making us superstitious. And God is supernatural. He don't want us to be superstitious. When I think about all the the, the friends and family that I have, my uncles are still devout Roman Catholics. I'm, I'm telling you, they're the kind that I'm talking about. They're the kind that believes whatever comes down the pipe, you know. Here it is, you know. They did this for the water stains. How many, how many love these people? We're not doing it to make fun of them. Just go ahead and pick out this one right here. You've got the priest here doing whatever he's doing. I mean, come on, y'all. Come on. How do I know God is with me because he put a water stain on a bridge? No, I know God is with me because wherever I'm gathered together with, with his brothers or sisters, he said he's there. That's the promise. Show me where he said he was going to show up with the water stain, and then I'll be the first one looking for it. Now, I'll give him some credit. It does look like it could be the Virgin Mary. It also looks like it could be an alien. One of those long, skinny, emaciated aliens, you know what I'm saying? It, it looks like it could be whatever you wanted it to be, doesn't it? I mean, if we're playing the what does it look like game, well, what does it look like to you? I mean, I could put a three-year-old child in front of this, you know, because children got imaginations. And they'll tell you, all, it looks like a ghost. It looks like this. And they'll tell you all day what it looks like. And then how do we know it's Mary? How do we know it's just not a woman? How do we know it's not a prostitute? How do we know it's not Jezebel? Everybody just thinks it's something positive, you know? Brothers and sisters, going back to the scripture, thank you for putting that up there. We're not doing this to shame them. I'm not doing this to embarrass my uncles. I love them. 
And I know many of them are saved and they're going to go to heaven and it's going to be despite the foolishness they were taught. It's going to be because God's merciful. They believe in the triune God. They're confessing Jesus as their Lord. And if God is merciful, he's going to be merciful to them. How many know God is merciful? But many of them don't really know Jesus. But I'm talking about those who really do their best to follow the words of God. They say they pray to Jesus as well. They confess their sins. Okay, maybe, you know, uh, they're confused, but God's going to be gracious. I get that. But here's the thing. As a church, we got to do better. We have to know better to do better. This is the promise of God. Now, how do we as uh, Pentecostals get all excited about the binding and loosing here? How do we now make this connection to the spiritual realm? Because even our Baptist brethren who think they're better than us, oh, you Pentecostals binding and loosing all the time, speaking in tongues, shame on you. Church is supposed to be reserved, and we're only supposed to pray to the Father in Jesus name. There's no need to bind or speak to any devil. Just leave them alone. You know, I, I had a professor one time in cemetery, I mean seminary, say he was in uh, Latin America and they were going casting out the demons and they said, Professor, do you want to help us bind the devil? And he said, no, I'm out of here. He left the campagna and he told it to the class. He said, I didn't know what they were doing. I had no, no idea. So I left that up to them. I'm like, brother, you better get boom shakalaka by the power of God because there's going to come a battle. You can't leave to, to Pastor Mario, you know, to Pastor Juan. You need to know how to do it yourself, Greg. Come on. You know what I'm saying? You know, Professor Greg, you know, he's a smart guy, and, he, you know, he's got his little glasses on. He's doing, Man, you better know how to beat up the devil because you're going to get some suburban devils up in your life. You're going to get some LGBTQ demons trying to come at you. Amen? Come on. This is real, man. you got spiritual battles to do. So I show them this, and I go, now tell me how I'm supposed to interpret it. So everybody get it. There's keys. There's binding and loosing. Now go to Mark chapter 3, verse 23. Same Jesus, same Gospels. This is how Jesus taught us about binding and loosing. I don't take it as a joke, and I know sometimes Christians do when we get a bad reputation. I bind the spirit of fat over this pizza right now in the name of Jesus. I, I bind the spirit of high caloric intake. I've, I'm serious. I've actually sat at a table where I've heard somebody pray like that. Listen to me. You can bind a lot of things, but you can't bind fat off that food, okay? And, and let me tell you this. You also can't bind stupid. People can be as stupid as they want to be and act like the devil and have nothing to do with the demon possessing them. You can be dumb by yourself. Sometimes I'm sure the devil looks at us as sinners and goes, demons, whoa, whoa, hold up, hold, hold up, hold up. What are they doing? Oh, y'all got to come see this. Did Bob do that to the? No, Bob. Bob's chilling over there. That's that's by themselves. They're acting like that. Man, send the demons over there. These guys got it all taken care of. They're good. They don't need us. They're going to hell by themselves. You can't blame everything on the devil. Stupid is as stupid does. We have to understand that I, you know, I'm not always fighting the devil if I got a flat tire. Maybe it's because I had that, that notification come up 20 times and I kept hitting it off. And yeah, it happened to ha happen on a Sunday, but that doesn't mean the demon was there. It, it was just the demon of, it was my own flesh of laziness, not the demon of laziness. Does everybody get that? But what do we do, Sue? We are in a battle. And so on one side to say everything is a demon, yeah, that's silly. But on the other side to say there's no demons, there's no battles. That was only done way back when? Oh, come on. I mean, think about it like this. When the church stopped being the church, look what happened to the culture. 
Do you see demons afraid of coming out on, uh, you know, Grammys, or do you see them coming out in public now? You see, because the demons know they're going to do as much as they can get away with. And I'm not calling people demons. I'm just saying you can see the demons in those eyes, in those souls, in those spirits of those people performing. And they know it. That's why they're coming out the woodwork. Why didn't the Billy Graham generation try that stuff? Why weren't they? Because there's always been a devil, right? There's always been demons. Why didn't they try satanic stuff like that in anybody's community? Why didn't they try that? Because it didn't work. Because there'd be Christians right there to rebuke the devil. But now that our church in the United States of America doesn't have that authority, the demons are coming out in every single culture. Every single form of witchcraft you can see is coming out now over all peoples. And as I've shared with you before, it's a sad stat, but we need to wake up to reality. There are now more registered witches than there are Presbyterians in America. And the Presbyterians used to be one of the OG saints. They used to be the classic church of the back in the day. You know, they built a lot of churches. They were radical. Now there's more witches in the United States because they're coming out. Now, this doesn't mean that we're going to burn witches, and I know sometimes they hear us preaching and they think we're going to do that. God forbid. We do not mistreat people because of their, uh, their beliefs. The Jewish law of how you treated witches, the reason why it was there as a civil law, the religious law was a civil law, was because God was preserving his people. But you didn't have to stay in Israel. You could leave Israel. In other words, they weren't like Muslim countries that say, you, you can't leave, but if you act up, we're going to kill you. That's different. The Israelites had a law for their people, and if you don't want to be their people, go out. You can be cast out and leave. Like, in other words, there were no fences keeping you in. You could just walk right out the camp and be like, man, I want to go be a witch. And, and as you see even in the, in the Bible, Lot said, man, I'm going to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, you could go and do that. So it was their law for their people. So now that you're here, by your choice, if you act up and try to change this, there'll be stoning for that. But thank God that there's not stoning for things like that because, hey, man, if you're going to stone a witch, we're going to stone an adulterer, and the first one catching the rock is your pastor. Hello? He gets quiet when I preach like this. Let's just be honest. You know, a lot of Christian conservatives want to throw the rocks at the witches and the liberals and all these things when they're living in adultery. Man, you, you catch a rock too, sir. Or greed, if you remember Achan. Achan in the Old Testament took stuff that didn't belong to him, stealing from God's, you know, people, uh, from what God had reserved for what he had to do with it. Achan takes what doesn't belong to him, and the, and the whole family gets stoned. So you want to bring that back, greed? You want to stone some greedy people today? So let's be careful when we overlook John chapter 8 that says, he without sin can throw the first stone. See, the, the judgment of God was righteous and just, but nobody lived by it. And that's why he said, if you really want to stone her, just show me now that you're living by it, and of course nobody was. But now let's see where we come from here because we do have a devil, a real devil, and we're not going to mistreat the people who are being used of the devil. We'll get to that in just a moment because we're not wrestling with them, flesh and blood, as Ephesians says. We're wrestling against these powers that have an organized authority structure. Think about it like this. The church is out of order, but most of the time the devil's kingdom is in order. That's why you don't even see them fighting amongst themselves, but you see Christians fighting the whole time. And that's why the Bible says Satan doesn't oppose himself, but you'll see Christians opposing each other. That's why we have to recognize that in a time like this, as I was even just saying about the Roman Catholics, if they keep messing with us as Christians, we'll all be in the same jail cell. It will be one, it will be one denomination, the locked up ones. Are you listening to me? It won't be Roman Catholic, Baptist, Presbyterian. Are you locked up? I'm locked up. They won't let me out. Oh, I'm in that denomination too. Are you listening? Amen. Listen to it. How can Satan drive out Satan? Because they're trying to say Jesus was possessed by Satan. 
That's why he had the power to do it. And he said, no, man, Satan's not against himself. He's not driving out Satan. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Can I hear an amen from everybody married today? Stay united in your house. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, now notice this and highlight it, please, verse 27. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first doing what? Without first tying him up. Now put that into King James. But we know the Bible wasn't written in King James. It was written in the Greek. And guess what? The word tie and the word bind from Matthew 16 and 18 is the same exact word. Can I hear an amen? Come on, I'm not making it up. Look at it, what it says right here. Come on, put it up there for him, please, in the King James. Mark chapter 3 there. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 27. No one can enter a strong man's house and spoil his good, and f- except he first what? Bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. So now do you understand why we as Pentecostals be binding up a bunch of stuff that the devil's doing? Oh, y'all crazy. You just ain't not bind the devil. It must not work because you bind him every day. No, it's working. It's just not working on everybody because everybody has a choice. But when I bind up the devil, I'm giving people the opportunity to see God in a new way that they've never seen him. So, for example, the drug addict. If I could simply say I bind your free will, then, of course, every drug addict would get saved today. But if I say when I pray for somebody that's dealing with drugs, I pray for the spirit of drug addiction that's influencing this person to be bound up in Jesus' name. You know what I believe has happened? I believe the opportunity for them to hear the gospel and clarity as a way they have never heard before has been given to them. Because then I loose in the name of Jesus the Holy Spirit over their life. I pray for a blessing to be upon them that otherwise would not have happened. How many believe that? You see, if you don't believe that you have the power to bind and to loose, then tell me what Matthew chapter 16 and 18 is about. Just go back to that tab. Let's go to Matthew 18. Go to Matthew 18 at the end there. Thank you. When you look at it, what do you see? You see the power to bind and loose as two or three are together praying in the presence of God. Somebody say binding and loosing comes when we pray in the presence of God. Look at it. You bind on earth, it's bound in heaven. You loose on earth, it's loosed in heaven. When are we doing that? When we're together and when we're praying, that's when God's presence is there. Who has those, those keys of death, hell, and the grave? Go to Revelation chapter 1. How many, how many know it's Jesus? How many believe that today? Come on. Somebody say Jesus. Amen. Jesus gave it to us. Now, I will be honest with you. Go to chapter 1 starting in verse 17. I will be honest that it does seem like with all the binding we are doing that there's little fruit. And here's the reason why. Because I don't think many of us are backing up the binding with the Word of God. What I mean by it is like this. When we went to war in Iraq, when we dropped those bombs, we then had to come in as foot soldiers and take the land. And so when we're binding things, and a lot of churches are binding, and that is true, and we shouldn't make fun of it if they're doing it in, in, in the Bible's way, right? They're not trying to bind the calories, but they're truly binding. But why we probably don't see the churches in, in America and in Chicago then have the fruit of what they ask for is because they don't put their boots to where their prayers have been. They then don't take the word of God into that community that they've been praying for. 
If I've been binding the devil over this community, I then have to walk in this community with the word of God to see them receive what I've been praying for. Otherwise, what are you just simply asking? You're just asking God to do all the work then. Well, God, you just bind it up, and then you send an angel. Just You know, one day when they're dusting in their house, the Bible just gets knocked off the coffee table to a scripture. Come on, that's what you're trying to say. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we work with the Lord. Somebody say we work with Jesus. Thank you. Look at it. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Jesus talking. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and what? Haiti. So we pray in Jesus' name. Now go to the end of Mark chapter 16 and see how we're going to enforce it because I want to teach you how to bind and loose in Jesus' name. I want to teach you how to pray prayers that get answers and then you put the word on what you prayed for. Now once again, if everything we prayed for could be done in the sense of violating the will, then Jesus wouldn't have lost Judas. Then Jesus wouldn't have been betrayed. So what we're not praying is that the will is violated. What we're praying in our binding and loosing is that the person hears clearly the word of God instead of being chained up by it. Let me just take a little uh, rabbit trail on this, but hold the scripture here. How many remember the story of the man that was demon-possessed and they tried to bind him, same word, but every time they tried to bind him, he got loose, right? But when Jesus came, he got loose, but in a different way spiritually. So what they tried to bind couldn't be bound, but what Jesus bound up and loose got the job done. But what did Jesus have to do? Jesus had to go to the man of Garnesia and had to hang out with him and preach the gospel to him. Oh, I wish you all would get that. Come on, did somebody get that? Because, man, we are a part of a church and a movement that loves to shout and to pray. You can turn on YouTube and see all the, the, the excitement that we have as full gospel people and all the music that we've put out and, and the conferences. Most, man, I'm telling you, most anything exciting going on in the body of Christ believes the kind of things that we do. The sad part is most of them are superficial. They're just superficial. They're teaching you the right principles, but then they're not taking you out into the streets to go out and perform it and to go do it. They're just getting you hype on the promise, the promise, the promise. It's like me telling you every day you could be an entrepreneur. You could be an entrepreneur. Yeah, somebody just like you could sell herbal life and be an entrepreneur just like you. You could go and start a business. You know, how many have seen those ads before, you know, or have friends try to talk to you? I just had one the other day. Hey, man, long time no see. What's up? And I'm like, dude, I'm chilling, man. How are you doing? And he's like, hey, man, can you join me on this uh, Zoom meeting I'm going to be doing? And I'm like, okay, but what time is it? And I, and I couldn't make the time. And I'm like, I'm thinking it's about Jesus. So I'm like, look, I can't make it at that time, but let me know what it is so that then I can send somebody and they'll come and bless you and be there with you. And then he sends me what it is, and it's like vitamins and essential oils. And then I give a little laugh, you know. And I don't want to be rude because, yeah, thank you, man. We all need a side gig. We all could use some extra shekels, kingdom benefits. I understand the oils work. I'm not saying, how many understand? I'm not saying that stuff's not good. I'm just saying like sometimes, and I'm not saying it's even about this individual, sometimes we're so enthusiastic about telling everybody about the thing instead of doing the thing. I could tell you all day about being an entrepreneur, or I could show you the check. I could show you in my bank account. I know it's a lot of these advertisements, they start off like it, but I have more respect for that. Show me the thing can be done. Don't just come to church and expect me to tell you about the promises over and over and over again. You can bind the devil. You can bind the devil. You can lose the blessings of God. No, it's time to show it to you.
It's time to live it out. Notice this. When Jesus was giving his great commission of Mark, after he had spoken these things to them, Mark 16, 19, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God with those keys that now we can access in his name. Then the disciples went out and did what? All two of you read it? You all got a Bible? Do you know how many, how many got a Bible here? Okay, don't have me t- turn off the karaoke Bible again. We turned this thing off for almost like, what, two months? Y'all better help this preacher preach. Then the disciples went out and what? Preached. Where? Where? Everywhere. They preached everywhere. And the Lord, watch this, worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. We cannot ask God merely in prayer to bind and loose if we're not willing to go out and preach where? everywhere, then the Lord works with us. The Lord will work with you as you preach his word. Every time I talk to people about financial issues, I say, are you giving to the Lord? Because you can pray the blessings of God over your life every day, but if you're not giving, you're not putting your faith in action so the Lord can work with you. And then when the Lord blesses you, are you being generous to give it back? Or are you just now adding to your debt? And if it works in that area of life, it's going to work in every other area of life. When I talk to people, I say, well, I'm not seeing my Bible study grow, or I'm not seeing this grow. Have you gone out and preached? Have you gone out to make disciples? Are you speaking God's word over those people? Now, once again, that doesn't mean everybody's going to get it, but somebody is going to get it. I couldn't be here in my home Bible study after, you know, all these years and say that I'm still doing the right thing if I've been praying all these prayers over Chicago and nobody's showing up. Come on, can I hear an amen? Now, I'm not trying to say bigger necessarily means better. Like someone who has more showing up means they have more blessings. No, God's going to have an individual plan for us. That's like saying just because you have a bigger family, you have a better family. And I have a big family, and I'm not saying, and I'm telling you, that's not the way it works. You can have a blessed family with one child, six children. Can I hear an amen? But do you have a family? Are you producing fruit with your seed? Do you see a blessing of the Lord on your life? So whether it's in finances or whether it's in marriage or over our community, if we are going to bind and loose, we then have to Preach God's word. Take, for example, my wife and our community that we live in. We love our neighbors. We make friends with them. And my wife had a prophetic word this past spring that she would win young people to the Lord in our backyard and that these young people that we see, because our backyard is also uh, leads into the park, that they would come to Jesus. And now for the first time, we're using the church van to bring in the kids from our community into the city for church. Come on, somebody. Let's give it up for Jesus. And we baptize and we baptized two of them the last time we did baptismals. Why? Because she didn't just say, I pray and loose blessings over this neighborhood. I bind the devil and the lies over this neighborhood. No, she began to preach and to speak the word of God to these young people. And then my son has a best friend. His name is Ali. And guess what religion Ali is? I know you all stereotypical. You all racist. I caught you. No, I'm kidding. I know. I know. Caught you there. Yes, he's Muslim. Assalamu alaikum. That's what Ali is. But guess what? My son loves Ali enough to get my book written on Islam to learn about it and try to teach him. Because we just can't pray for a Muslim to get saved without reaching him with the gospel and preaching to him the word of God. Now, please go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Somebody say, make it plain. Amen. Now we're going to put it into the practical. 
how did Paul teach us to do this? So we went to the Gospels. We understand there's binding and loosing in prayer with two or three. We understood that when we see Jesus in heaven, he has this authority, and yet it's our responsibility to take his word so that we can see the power of God enacted over their lives. Well, what does it look like? Look at Ephesians 10, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, notice this. If you're not right with God, you can't help anybody else get right with God. God doesn't need more hypocrites. Now, this is where the devil lies, and then he'll say, well, you've made a mistake, you're a hypocrite. That is not a hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who makes a mistake, covers it up, and then pretends to others they have not made that mistake. How many know that's entirely different than someone making a mistake, asking for forgiveness, and getting up and trying again? That's entirely different. Let me just repeat it again. A hypocrite is someone, let's, let's use uh, OnlyFans for an example. A hypocrite would be someone who looks at OnlyFans, has sexual perversion in their heart, and then when they join the evangelism team, they talk to others about them not looking at pornography as they meet new people. That's a hypocrite. God ain't got no time for that. That doesn't help anybody. But now let's talk about the righteous, though they stumble seven times, they get back up. If someone is in this church and has looked at OnlyFans and then is convicted, repents to the Lord, goes to their brother or sister before they go evangelizing in accountability to say, I have messed up this week. Would you pray with me that I can overcome my sin? Jesus has forgiven it, but I need the power to overcome it. That kind of person can now preach against pornography. And as they are preaching against pornography, what do you think would be good for them to share with the person they're talking to? Their struggle and what they have gone through, the honest thing that, that God is teaching them and share with them. If God can keep me, he can keep you. He's working on me and I'm getting free. Amen? See, that's the difference. Okay, so I just want to be clear with that. If you're not strong in the Lord and his mighty power, you can't take on the devil. Now, notice it. It doesn't say be strong in yourself. That's why that self-help stuff is deceptive. It's good in the sense of it teaches you to believe in what you can achieve and to look at goals and manifest them out by believing in the dreams that you have set before you. But if they're not, these gurus or even uh, the people's books that you've read, if they're not telling you the source of your abilities come from God, they're leading you down the, uh, the road of idolatry of the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. Because the only way you're truly going to see that plan for God in your life come about is through the Father, Son, and the Spirit, the Lord. Amen? And in his mighty power. Because the Bible says what good is it for a person to gain the whole world yet lose their soul? So if Bill Gates has gained the whole world in wealth and then he loses his soul, is he a success or a failure in, in heaven's mind? In the eyes of heaven, he's a failure. Right, And if you're faithful with God and you don't own as much as Bill Gates, but you get to hear from Jesus, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what you hear on Judgment Day. Are you a failure or a success to God? A success. Now, if you can have both, some houses, land, and prosperity in this world and hear from God, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that what you would want? Amen. So now you understand the balance. So be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The Bible warns against us playing games with demons. 
We should not take them lightly. They do have power and authority, and if we take them as a joke, we'll get put in our place. So the Bible says even when the Michael, the archangel, came against the devil, he said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Everybody remember that, reading that in Jude? The Lord rebuke you. You can't come in anybody else's power. But once you have the power of God, you can come with some swag to the battlefield. Amen. You can come with some swag. You can grab up your, you know, your slingshot and say, you devil, you're going down today. You know, like one of those baseball players used to point to the, to the bleachers before he hit a home run. You could just point to the ground. That's where you're going, Jack. You're going down right now. <laughs> you know, you need to be, be confident in the Lord. As I've said before, what people are afraid of, what they're afraid of in the world is afraid of me in Jesus' name. That's why I say whatever you're having nightmares about, whatever's bumping in your room, tell to come to my room. We'll cast it out in Jesus' name. Or bring over a Christian during that time to do a sleepover with you of the same gender, of course. No perversion here. Path to do a sleepover at my house. No, we ain't doing that. But you get my point. Bring over somebody godly with the holy anointing, Earl, in Jesus' name. We'll anoint that whole place, bind the devil, and cast him out. I believe that still works. And when we start doing that, you see what you see now. Hey, the devil, he's been here this whole time, but he's come out the closet as Christians went into the closet. The devil got us to think that spiritual stuff was weird, so Christians stopped doing it in churches. Now they're doing it on the, the Super Bowl stage. Let's just be honest. He didn't go anywhere. You know, you might have grew up a certain way where, you know, they were always casting out demons and doing this and that. And you might have thought that was weird. And you're like, well, I guess, you know, that's just my church. My church was weird and all that. And you thought if you left the devil alone, he would leave you alone. You can't go to a concert now without somebody doing some seance or talking about the spirits of their ancestors or what their horoscope said or some seance that they're doing in the middle of it. I mean, I'm talking from Beyonce. I mean, back in the day, what Beyonce does, Beyonce does now is what Slayer and Satanic heavy metal groups used to do, doing the blood rituals and all this. And I know some of you still like the music, but you need to be careful with what you're thinking about these people because they can't be your leaders. You can't look up to them as your role models anymore. You might still enjoy their music, but be careful that it doesn't draw you into their worldview. Amen? Sometimes people say, well, I'm going to only listen to Christian music and do this and that. That's great. My one friend said, then make sure you only get milk from a Christian cow. Okay, because the joke with that is if you're just going to boycott everything, you're going to be living on Little House on the Prairie, okay? So I don't want you to now say to yourself, well, then that's the devil. That's the apples, the devil. Starbucks, look at that. That's a goddess right there on the cup. You drinking in the goddess spirit now. This, and then they just get all corny with that. And then I'm like, where'd you get your milk from? Maybe that cow came from an atheist family. Now you got the atheist cow you're drinking the milk from. And where'd you get your French fries from? You know? And you get to become so superstitious. The Bible says to the pure, all things are pure. It's not what goes in a man that defiles him. It's what comes out. But you do need to guard your ears, guard your eyes. And that's why I say in my house, any non-Christian music is going to be run by me if my kids are going to listen to it. I'm going to make sure I guard their movies, their pad time. So be wise as a serpent, the Bible says, harmless as a dove. In another place, the Bible says do not be unaware of the devil. And if you do want to be that strict, that's absolutely okay because there was years of my life that I was that strict. You just can't judge anybody else for them not being as strict as you. Amen? Amen. So be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and know Notice these things here. Put on the full armor of God 
so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Though oftentimes the enemy will use flesh and blood, they personally are not our issue. But against, now notice the authority, the structure here. Rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so most people start with the rulers. The, uh, put it in the King James for me, please. Uh, you know, they start at the top there, at the rulers, and then they work their way down. You know, we don't know exactly how it works, but I can just tell you like this. If Paul took the time to list out four categories of demonic power, and he did it in that kind of way, we should understand at least this, that the devil knows what he's doing. The devil is organized. And so this is not being superstitious. If you notice there's problems in your marriage and then there's problems on your job and then there's problems with people you haven't seen forever but they're stalking you now on Facebook, that could be an organized attack against your life. It gets quiet when I preach like that, but can I hear an amen if you believe it? Not everything is just a coincidence. See, on one side, we don't want to say everything is spiritual in one way because it could just be you didn't fill up your tire and, and you might have been mean to that person on your job. But if you're going to be honest, you also have to see that sometimes the devil can provoke people. He can use his power and authority to come against you to, uh, to form an attack. See, notice it here. Principalities would be the highest one. This, this is how I would understand it. Principalities would be over regions. And we're going to get to Daniel chapter 10 in just a moment, okay? So that there would be principalities over a region. And then under those principalities would be powers, those like governor leaders that they have uh, operating for them, and then the rulers of darkness would be like their mayor. So let's just look at it like this. The principality would be the president, the powers would be the governor, the rulers would be the mayor, and the spiritual wickedness in high places would be like the police, or in this sense, the Gestapo, the, the, the evil coming against us on the boots on the ground. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Come on, see it there. Now, what are you supposed to take from that? The devil's organized. Go to Daniel chapter 10 quickly, please, and then we'll go into the practicals of this. Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. How many know God confirms his word but doesn't contradict it? Amen. When you look to the Old Testament, you see binding and loosing happening there. You see Daniel needing to pray. Remember, we learned that from Jesus. Pray and get together with others. Though it doesn't say Daniel prayed with others, you can almost assume that his friends were praying with him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Pray for me, brothers. I'm fighting a spiritual battle. And so they would join with him. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. Oh, you know what? Uh, scroll up just a little bit so we can see the context here. Go up to... Um, yeah, let's go to verse 7. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it. Now, see, that's where I get the idea he had prayer partners. How many believe Daniel had prayer partners? So he has a vision, but the other guys don't see it. But he is with them. Okay, you get that? Okay, so those who were with me did not see it. But such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So there must have been some type of a spiritual encounter that's happening while, while Daniel's seeing a clear vision. They might be seeing bright lights. They might be hearing sounds or rumbling. Something's going on. So now they, they hide themselves. And Daniel's just, ah, this is a powerful moment here. I believe this. So I was left alone. Okay, thanks, Shadrach, man. Where are you going, dude? So they leave him alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength yet left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Remember, not in your own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep. My face hit the ground. So this dude knocks out. 
Now notice this verse 10. A hand touched me, and he sent me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about ready to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before who? Your God. Your words were heard. So he's praying. He's doing that battle. And I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Now you remember when I said that the highest one was a principality. And I called that like a president. Here in the Old Testament, he's looked at like a prince. He's looked at like a ruler. And if you have a prince, then that means you have a king. So if this is a prince of Persia, a demon of Persia, who's his king, y'all? Satan. That's his leader. So he's there as a prince. And he resists 21 days, this angel. Then Michael. Come on, somebody say, then Michael. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. See, you notice this right here. He might have now been dealing with the devil himself that brought Michael there because Michael was a part of kicking Satan out of heaven. So it can seem like there was a prince, and then the king comes who we can think is the devil, and then this one angel is fighting, and now he has to call in Michael. Come on, this is spiritual warfare. Oh, I don't believe all that stuff. And yet you got posters of Marvel still in your bedroom and you're 30 years old. Oh, well, I know it's make-believe. You don't spend money on it like it's make-believe. Isn't that real money? Isn't that real time? I have even some of my friends naming their kids after these superheroes. Oh, yeah, you believe in it. You just believe in it in a different kind of way. You're not committed to it. See, I'm really committed to what I believe. You know they believe it in the sense of, oh, it's, it's possible there's aliens. Oh, it's possible. You see, everyone is spiritual. Let's just be honest. Even the atheist is spiritual. They believe that a monkey could go from the goo to the zoo to you. That takes a whole lot of faith in spirituality to believe that. Are you listening to me? You see, everybody has like an ultimate. Everybody has like what they would call their story of origin or their beliefs and all of these things. We believe in the stories of the Bible. Well, a man wrote the Bible. Yeah, a man wrote your textbook too for class. Do you believe that man? I believe that man like you believe your math book guy. I believe these guys. I believe Daniel. Amen? And Daniel and these men have never been contradicted by those other men who study true science and math and so forth. Praise God. But notice this here. It seems like it's like Marvel Comics, doesn't it? It seems, let's just be honest, it may make some of you feel a little uncomfortable. But the Bible reiterates it in the New Testament. There's real battles going on, and it's organized. And I've even had Christians ask good questions. Not, you know, not every question is, is a mocker trying to, you know, dismantle our faith. Good Christians have asked us, well, if God is so powerful, why are they battling? And why does it look like this angel right here is getting whooped, and he needs, he needs Michael? I thought that, you know, greater he that's in us and he that's in the world, why couldn't they just do all of this? This is because God has given them limitation of their power. Now understand this, they have limitation of their power, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We are greater than the angels in the sense of our access to the power of God. Oh, I wish somebody would get that. 
Angels are limited in how they can divest the energy, the power of God. And yet when Jesus comes to his people, he makes us greater than the angels, the Bible says. As a matter of fact, we'll judge them, the Bible says, on how they behaved in the spiritual realms. And God does that so that Jesus can be the first among many brothers. So when the Bible says greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, that means all of them. When you got Jesus on the inside of him, I'm going to park here because some of you are looking at me weird. That's why I'm saying you're going to look at a stain. You're looking to talk to an angel. I command angels in Jesus' name. The angel helps me in what I'm supposed to do because I have the full American Express Amex black card with Jesus. They got the bootleg one. They got the Dollar Tree $5 gift card. Are you listening? I'm kind of teasing, but they got a limit on what they can pull from the resources of heaven. They have, a, they have a limit, but the Bible says what we have is limitless. And we were created greater than to, to begin with, and that's why you want, come on, man, I'll preach this for a whole other subject right now. Why do you think God allowed Adam and Eve to be tempted in the first place? Sometimes people look at Adam and Eve, oh, I just feel sorry for him. You know, I feel, would you feel sorry for somebody being deceived by a mosquito? Come on, think about it. Bzz, little mosquito comes by. I want you to do this, 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 this. What would you say to somebody if they were being, you know, being lured into sin by a mosquito? Let's just think, pretend things can talk, right? You would look at them and you would say, that's crazy. Swat that thing. Swat that. Why do you think God allowed them to be tempted by that, by that snake? Because what they were supposed to do, God in his foreknowledge knew they wouldn't, but God knew what they were supposed to do was take that thing, go, you joker, get down here. Mm. Mm -mm. And the first thing that would have died would have been the last thing, and that would have been the power of Satan over us. Are you guys listening? I know I got some of you deep thinkers thinking, because what eventually did Jesus do? Took that serpent, stomped on him. You see, we were supposed to do that in Jesus' name. That's why he had to come back and hit reset. You ever play a video game, die, don't pass the board, hit reset, new life, come back at it again. Jesus is our second player in the game. The Bible literally says that in the book of Corinthians. Jesus is the second what? Adam. He's the second player in the game because we didn't do what we were supposed to do. So these angels now got to come do what we can't do in the old covenant because we didn't have the name of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection, and he didn't have the keys to give out. Remember when he gives out the keys, that is a transference of power and authority. Hallelujah. Don't take this as a game, friends. Don't take it as a joke. Woo, come on, Jesus. I was listening to a, an African-American woman. It was one of these real, real, real quick things on Instagram. Bless my heart, tears started coming down my eyes because she was in a parking lot doing an interview with a reporter. And then all of a sudden, the gunshots started going off. And then she started speaking in tongues and praying and got the reporter down on his knees and then you know, helped him get safety. And, and she said, we're going to be all right. You see, that's the way we used to handle our problems. Now, you might say, well, what if someone does eventually die? What if a good Christian does die? We're all not going to be fighting our battle forever. And the Bible says that sometimes we're going to die and we're going to end in, in this battle and then go to our rest. But you better understand how to fight the battle. You need to know how to pray in the name of Jesus. You need to know how to call on those angels to get your back. Today in Hebrews, we're going to talk about how angels have come to visit us even unaware, the Bible says. Sometimes you might have had a life group visitor come, be nice and sweet, not sassy like the rest who write about you on Facebook or something, but a real nice visitor, and then you never see him again. That could have been an angel, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. 
Bible says that this angel is wrestling, and then, and, uh, and then the king comes down, which probably could be the devil, and then uh, Michael comes down. Now I have to explain to you what happened to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. Going back to Ephesians 6, uh, Brother Daryl or whoever's on the keys, would you come today, please? Somebody say, make it plain. I, knew I, I know I took some rabbit trails. But let me just make this plain, too. We, t- we talk about this in our discipleship all the time, but, but I do want to honor the Lord and get this word out here for you. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. You're not waiting for Michael to do this. You're doing this. That's because he got the keys, and he said, you got them now. You got authority, so put on your armor. You're about ready to do battle. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, powers of this dark war- world, against the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, put it to verse 14, please. Some of you are fighting depression, but it's just not a mental thing. You're fighting a demon that wants you to be discouraged and give up on God. Some of you are fighting perversion, but it's not just your hormones. It's a demon wanting to take you out, end your marriage, take away your purity. Some of you are fighting for your finances and for the plan of God on your life, and you're this close to giving up. You're not just fighting on being tired in your physical body. There's a demon assigned to you to get you to kill yourself, to get you to quit on your hope, to just say, it won't be me. There are attacks against us as people of God. Believe it. And those often who are on the front lines, those often who are helping others the most, often take the worst kind of attacks. That's why the Bible says pray for our leaders. Uh, Pray for your leaders. Pray for uh, wives. Pray for your husbands, children. Pray for your parents. Pray for what God is doing in this nation, in the churches. God is asking us to stand and fight. Stand firm then with the belt of truth around your waist. Get truth to hold up your pants. Too many young people letting their pants hang down. And that's a spiritual indication that they're not being held up by the truth of their dignity and their integrity. Too many people are letting their pants fall down in sexual immorality and perversion, not knowing their worth and their value. You are worth more than a tender date and a one-night stand. Pull up your pants and hold them up with the truth of God. For who the sun sets free is free indeed. When you know the truth, it sets you free. Put on that breastplate of righteousness. That means you protect your vital organs. You protect your heart with right living. Brothers and sisters, if the, devil's, if the devil and the demons can get us to sin, then we leave our heart exposed for him to attack us. You may have sinned, but don't live in sin. Today, if there's any sin in your life, repent of it so that that armor is at full strength. When I say to you I haven't looked at pornography since 96 or I haven't cheated on my wife or had an affair and all this, I've been married almost 20 years, I'm not saying I'm better than those who have struggled in those areas. Nor are our brothers and sisters here who are free in those same ways. What we're saying is we know how to keep the breastplate of righteousness on. I'm not letting it down. Because if I let it down, I'll go down the road just like my friend did who cheated on his wife with the secretary. I'll go down the road just like one of these guys that I know that cheated on his wife. Now he's never found another girl to replace her. Even though he's thinking he can do it. Every time I see him, he's with another girlfriend. 
You don't know what you're giving up, sir. You don't know what you're giving up, man, when when you let down that covering of your heart. Keep that breastplate of righteousness on, on your heart. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That's why I'm not impressed with these pastors wearing Jordans and all that. And and to be honest with you, I'm understanding of it. It's your money. You didn't steal anything from anybody. Wear what you want. That's how I look at it, okay, just personally, okay? But here's the problem that I got with it. You don't wear your Jordans on Madison and Pulaski. You're not taking those beautiful shoes that God has given you out to the places that need it. If you have shoes, he's given you those shoes so you can walk in them. And where you're supposed to be walking is where the people need the gospel of peace. That's where you have to be. That's why I'm always skeptical of all of these prosperity preachers that talk about all their blessings and all the books that they've sold, but they never go to the communities that need the gospel of peace. If what you really had was that good and it was working that good, why aren't you taking it to the place that needs it the most? So no matter how blessed you get, God blesses you with a new car. Drive it down to the west side with us and preach with us. God got you some new shoes. Wear it out there. We're trying to make sure you don't get robbed. But you know what I'm saying? Whatever God's given you, you now have to stand with that and bring the gospel to people. Guess where we're going this Friday, by God's grace? To the high schools. That's my calling. I can't just preach here on Sunday. God has to tell me other places to preach throughout the week. And I pray he's got you doing that as well. So my place is the high schools. And every time I go out there, I'm amazed by two things. Two things. I'm always amazed about how quickly the teenagers are willing to accept us. Many are willing to do that quickly. They see we're from the church. We're offering them something good. One, one of our draws is that the Lord told us to do, I really felt this was the Lord, was to bring out the basketball goal, make a free throw, and we'll give you a gift card. So we get them in, just, you know, hanging out because they don't have a lot of places of peace. They don't have a lot of places where they can rest their mind and be at ease. Literally, the last time we went out over here, they were boxing in the, uh, in, in, in the schoolyard over there. And, I, you know, I'm glad it was organized. They weren't trying to kill each other. But it's like, man, that's all they reduced down to is violence, perversion. Man, let me show them something positive, right? So I'm always amazed by that. And then the second thing is, is I'm always amazed when the people who don't accept Christ think they have more time. They're like, man, we got more time, we got more time. We just went to a funeral this Saturday of a precious young man who was helping his father change a tire. And then a tire of a semi-truck came off and hit him. That 15-year-old was buried yesterday. Man, teenagers, you you do not have tomorrow in your calendar. Don't believe that it's there. You, you're not promised tomorrow. I'm always amazed, man. They're like, they're willing to talk to us. And then we ask them about, you know, accepting Jesus, coming to church, because we do it on Fridays. You know, you can go to our Facebook page and get all the details there for Chicago for Jesus. But they think, man, I'll do that later. I'll do that later. You, you, know, you know the end of your life from the beginning? You know every day in between, as the preacher preached yesterday, your dash between the door of your coming and the door of your leaving. He called it door dash. That was a clever sermon, hallelujah. You know the dash in between the door when you came here and the door where you exit? No. It always blows my mind. But brothers and sisters, you got to take your shoes to where the gospel of peace is needed. What else does it teach us? In addition to this, take up the shield of faith. Take it up. When you and I have faith, we can overcome doubts. 
Doubts are not uh, uncommon to Christians. How many have felt doubts before as a Christian? You do. I mean, you, you doubt the promises sometimes. Sometimes you doubt whether or not you're doing the right thing, if it's, if it's going to come to pass. I know some of you are in our marriage counseling for like three years, and you doubt whether or not it's ever going to come to pass. You're doing your best just not to get divorced. I'm telling you, keep up faith. Pray until something happens. Push! When the Spartans had their, their, their shields, it wasn't just to block as we're going to see. It was also to push. When you have your faith, you pray until something happens. You push with your shield that enemy in front of you. You push back divorce. You push back addictions. Well, Pastor, I've come up here 20 times for pornography. When is it ever going to break off me? Push! Keep on keeping on. Hold on to your faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Don't throw off your faith. Don't give up and just say this is the way it's going to be. No, you can bind those demons in the name of Jesus and pray blessing over your house. And you keep pushing until they leave you alone in that area. What I would say to the ones that find themselves struggling in that same area, find 10 others that are struggling just like you and preach to them every day. And the demons are going to start getting scared because they're going to realize the more they mess with you, the more you help these over here. Are you listening to me? The more I was getting depressed as a church, as a pastor with a small church, the more I put evangelism days on my, on my calendar until I felt that depression go away, that anxiety go away. Because the devil knew the more I mess with him with discouragement, the more he's going to keep going out to the streets. I'm telling you, the devil's not stupid. He wakes you up in the middle of the night praying tongues for 10 people to get saved. He'll stop waking you up in the middle of the night. Oh, devil, you woke me up. Now I pray for my sister to get saved. I pray for my uncle to get saved. I pray for Chicago to get saved. I pray for the warfare to begin with the high school students, not in the natural, but in the spiritual, to whoop your hiney. You'll start sleeping like a baby in the middle of the night. I'm serious. It works. What does it say then? That this shield of faith will extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I can tell you this. Even before you see the situations change, you'll see your heart change, and you'll notice those arrows falling off. Because not even just in our struggles, but the promises we're holding on to, we're still saying 100,000. It's right there, right? But I don't see it. And so every time the devil... Here's an arrow of discouragement. He'd only have a few hundred people. He's been saying he's got a hundred. Look at how old he's getting now. He's got all this gray hair. Demons, tell him he's a failure. <laughs> but I just hold up that faith. I'm not saying it's always easy. Sometimes I feel like, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm not doing good enough. I don't feel like maybe I, I did the right thing as a pastor. Maybe I should have did this. Maybe I should have did this. Maybe I should have did a summer at the movies and filled up the church more by dressing up like, you know, these different movie characters, you know? Then the, then the Lord says, no, I'm just calling you to do what I told you to do. It hits the shield, falls off. Hits the shield, falls off. But how many know, if, I, if I'm having a bad day and I let down that shield, they'll just start hitting you. And how many know, once it starts, it doesn't stop. Once, once let, let's just say, I go, you know what? I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I can't get 100,000. Man, I'm just leaving for 1,000 now. How many go, how many know the devil's going to go, good, we got him. Push him. Push him. Now get him to believe that he's not even a pastor. Get him to believe that he's a failure. I know uh, we talk about sexual perversion in the ministry here all the time, but more pastors drop out because of burnout than they do because of sexual sin. More Christians stop coming to church because of discouragement than they do because some tragedy happened. 
We see people leave all the time just because of the trickle of life's problems just wear on them like Chinese torture, as they used to call it. You know, just that soft trickle over time just wears on them. It wasn't a big thing. It wasn't a big It was just this little trickle over time. Why? Because they let down that shield of faith. And then lastly, what does it say? Take on the helmet of salvation. That helmet of salvation is the last part of your armor. The next part of the sword of the spirit is the word of God is your weapon. But that helmet of salvation is what guards your mind. You have to keep the word of God over your mind, brothers and sisters. Your mind is a scary place. Your mind is, has potential. I mean, I don't want to mess with us now, but your mind has the potential to do any wicked thing you've ever seen anybody do on this planet. A child molester didn't start off as a child molester. A rapist didn't start off as that. A murderer didn't start off as that. It was the little drips of the mind and the word of God not protecting them, their shield being down that turned them into things they never thought they would be. That's why we still do jailhouse ministry, amen? Because we need to see repentance come to them. And what do they do when they can finally admit what they've done is the sorrow of regret. Why? I didn't mean to beat my wife. It's just, you know, we were going through tough times and... She didn't think I was good enough, and then I found her cheating, you know. So I beat her up. Now I'm arrested. You know, I, I didn't mean to kill that guy. It's just my friends and his friends. We were, in, we were in a war with each other over this block, and when we started shooting, bullets don't have names. I didn't mean to hit that kid. I didn't mean to hit that person. You see? If you're not careful with your mind and your heart, with that shield and with that righteousness, the enemy just comes and he takes everything from us. But when we have all of that, we now have the Word of God. And that circles us right back around to where we were at the beginning, where two or three are gathered. We are praying in the Spirit on all occasions, the Word of God, staying alert. Now, instead of just, you know, being here, taking it on from the devil, no, we're going to his kingdom and plundering his kingdom. And now when he sees us coming, he goes, oh, my, oh, my, she's up. She's praying, demons. Guard that part. Guard over here. Send more over there. They're taking from us. And Jesus' name. Would you give it up for the Lord today as you stand with me?